Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. Um, I've heard so much about you guys, all of it good. And uh, everyone that I know that has, has spoken here, that's come here, Jeff, who's worked here, friends of mine that have come here on any given Sunday have spoken so wonderfully of this community. And so it's a pleasure to be here with you, and it's always a pleasure to have a chance to share a word, um, to dig into scripture, um, to share what I've been learning, what God's been saying to me. I truly enjoy the whole process of preaching, um, because for me, what that means is it, it means a lot of time spent in God's word. It means time spent in prayer. It means time spent listening to the Holy Spirit and then sharing what God's been teaching me. Um, I often find in this whole process of preparing to preach that I'll, I'll usually start with some scripture that I'm very familiar with, that I love, that's spoken to me in the past, and I believe I have a message to share. And what I usually find is in that time of preparation, um, the message that I began with pales in comparison to what God's revealing to me at a particular time uh, and place. And that was the case for me this last week as I looked at the story of the 10 lepers, which we can find in Luke chapter 17. It's a story that makes me think of being thankful to God, just as we were uh, a moment ago as we reflected on gratitude and the many, many reasons that we have to recognize God's faithfulness and his goodness in our lives. Um, and so this, uh, where was I? I've already lost my spot. This is going great. Last time I'll get invited to speak at another church. No. Um, so this idea of being thankful and this summer, I had uh, a particular experience that got me reflecting on this. I would call it an interesting experience. Um, as, as you can see, uh, I am no longer what would be defined as a young man. Um, I'm definitely not in my 20s. In fact, my 30s are well in the past. They sailed away a long time ago. And I'm now quickly building up speed towards 50. But there's something in me, there's something in my head um, that that believes that I will always be young, that believes that there's no reason to slow down, maybe change my activities or the things that I love doing, whether that's playing soccer, whether that's a weekend landscaping, or whether that's mountain biking. Um, and that, this, this thought in my head that I'm still young usually means that I'm always carrying at least one or two minor injuries, like my finger right now doesn't work quite right, and I have a, a calf strain, which means you know, I get a little hitch in my giddy-up, can't run quite like I would want to. And, and it also means that I single-handedly support the sports medicine clinic in my town. <laughs> I say single-handedly, but I will say that Michelle, who you've met, um, also helps with that because she has the same particular problem of thinking that we're still young when there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. Well, this summer, this interesting experience that I happened was actually a, a particularly bad accident while I was mountain biking. Um, I'm flying down the trail at my local trails. I love it there. Um, catching some air, having a ton of fun with a couple of friends, both pastors. Um, but somehow, even though we're all pastors and clearly nothing bad can happen to us, I ended up smashing into a tree, a head-on collision with a very stationary, very stubborn tree. 
And when I say head on, I mean that in the literal sense. My face hit the tree going around 40 kilometers an hour. I was going 40 kilometers an hour, tree zero. We both went zero at the end of this. So not great, and uh, resulted in a trip to the hospital, six stitches on my chin, little minor bike damage, uh, a few weeks with a pretty sore neck and back. Um, but incredibly, it wasn't worse. There was no concussion symptoms, although the doctor was clear to point out that I was indeed concussed. There was no way I was not concussed, but no, no symptoms. What could have been an absolutely horrible time with months of recovery or even permanent injury hardly even impacted me. I didn't even end up with much of a scar. But like I said, I mean, I live a given way. I have many injuries. I've had some in the past that have taken months to heal. And during those times, I would spend sometimes hours in prayer, asking God for healing, ask for restoration, um, working through you know, the pain of an injury, or even just the frustration of not being able to do the things that I love to do. And, and then when I was healed and I was able to get back to life, as normal, you know, there would be prayers of thanksgiving and, and praise that I had received healing. And, well, this got me thinking this time. This time there was no horrible injury um, when there really should have been. And instead of spending time in a dark room praying for concussion symptoms to go away or lying in bed with a neck injury, I realized I had an opportunity an opportunity that those hours that I would have spent crying out to God for healing, instead to use that time going back to God again and again each day in thanks, in gratitude, that I had been spared this horrible, severe injury experience. Do you have a similar story of or experience of, of being saved out of some sort of situation, some sort of thing that ought to have happened. It makes me wonder how many times and how many ways I've experienced God's grace, his provision, without even recognizing it, without giving thanks. And so it was this experience that got me thinking about the story of the 10 lepers in Luke 17. I've been thinking about this since May when I had this accident. And so in the study of this story, as I prepared this message, and I'm thinking about gratitude, and God brought to my heart actually a deeper message. And that is the role of responding in praise and thanksgiving to God. The fact that that praise, that thanksgiving, is actually an essential part to our very salvation. Because how we respond to God matters. How we respond to his goodness, his activity in our lives matters. And so I'm excited to get into the story with you this morning to share some of my journey with this story. And uh, so I'll invite you to open your Bibles or your Bible apps uh, to follow along. I'm sure the words will also be on the screen. But we're going to look at Luke 17. And the beginning of this uh, story is in verse 11. And so let me read this to us. It says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. 
As he entered a village there, ten leopards stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, have mercy on us. So here's our, here's our scene. Jesus and the disciples are on their way to Jerusalem in order that Jesus can carry out his purpose, his mission here on earth to bring salvation to many. And it's not a straight line journey. Rather, this journey to Jerusalem is a journey of purpose. If you look back through the Gospel of Luke, you'll see that actually way back in chapter 10, he was right close to Jerusalem. He was in Bethany, just east of Jerusalem. And now now we find ourselves way up north in the border of Galilee and Samaria. Jesus is about purpose, not just getting to Jerusalem as fast as possible. And so it's at the beginning of this journey um, that discusses this purpose that Jesus Um, talks about this. And I'm actually going to have us flip back to uh, chapter 13. And there's a chunk here that I want to read. And it's a a little bit to throw in here. But I'm going to read it to you because not only does it give context to what Jesus and the disciples are doing as they go through the towns, but it also gives us a great lens to hear the story of the ten lepers and to understand what's going on here. So let me read to you says, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And some who are the greatest now will be least important then. Hmm. So, Jesus, the disciples... They're traveling, they're making their way to Jerusalem, they're going through towns and villages. Jesus is still teaching, he's carrying out his mission, and we have this conversation about what it takes to enter God's kingdom, who will enter God's kingdom, and I want us to bear those words in mind as we go back to chapter 17. It says, as he entered the village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus! Master, have mercy on us. So they've come to this village. There's 10 men with leprosy, and they they want to approach Jesus, but they're standing at a distance, and they're calling out. And that would have been because they were lepers. Now, in the text here, leprosy doesn't necessarily mean what we think of medically when we think of leprosy today, but it could have meant any kind of unattractive, serious skin disease. 
Their condition meant that not only were they suffering, but as we look at the Levitical law, we'll see that they were also outcasts. And so we look to Leviticus 13, where we see that if somebody had a skin disease, they had to get it checked out by a priest. And if it was serious, they would be pronounced unclean. But that's not the worst of it. If we read on to verse 45, it says, Those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing, leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their mouth and call out, Unclean! Unclean! And in Numbers, we see further instructions for those with serious skin disease. It gets worse. I mean, no wonder these ten men were crying out for mercy. They would have had to live outside of the community, outside of their village or town, away from their families, with other lepers. They were unclean. They were feared. They were literally untouchable. And any time they came near someone, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Everything about their appearance shouted this as well. And it was for good reasons. It wasn't just done out of spite. They didn't have treatments for these potentially infectious conditions. It was a necessary measure to protect the community. So they've come to see Jesus in the hopes that this miracle worker and teacher can free them from this miserable existence. And so they stand at a distance and they cry for mercy. And Jesus responds with compassion. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Jesus answers their cry and tells them to go show themselves to the priests. And even as they're walking away, even as they start making their way to the priests, they can see that they've been healed. Now, Jesus tells them to go to the priests for a reason. This was part of this same law that we just read from. And it allows the priest to declare someone clean once their skin condition had been healed. So they'll offer a sacrifice at the temple and be accepted back into their community. The healing here goes far beyond the physical and restores them with their people. It's life-changing. They can be with their families again. They can work and support themselves. They can give another human being a hug. They can change out of their torn clothing. They can comb their hair. No more crying out, unclean, unclean. It says here in 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Wow. But really, only one? Only one of them, when he saw that Jesus had healed him, came right back to Jesus. And he doesn't, he doesn't do it quietly. It says that he's shouting, I suspect, at the top of his lungs. Praise God. And when he gets back to Jesus, when he gets to Jesus, he doesn't stand at a distance anymore. He falls at his feet. He falls down before Jesus and gives thanks. 
Have you ever had a moment like this? Have you ever experienced God's love, his provision in your life in a way that simply blew you away? Did you cry out, praise God? Did you fall down and give Jesus thanks? Because as we continue, we'll see that that is the right response to God's action in our lives. And another thing, there's a twist here, especially for the original audience. It's something that I've coined the Samaritan surprise. The one that comes back was a Samaritan. Nobody would have expected faithfulness from a Samaritan. The Jewish readers have no love for Samaritans. They were half-breed Israelites. Historically, they wandered from the true worship of God. And for generations upon generations, there was conflict, even war between the Jews and the Samaritans. Yet here, it's the Samaritan who's the one that praises God and falls at the feet of Jesus in thanksgiving. And that should remind us of the words of Jesus from chapter 13, where he says, and people will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. This isn't the only time in scripture that we see the Samaritan surprise. You probably remember a certain parable, maybe, of the good Samaritan. Exactly. So shocking as this particular moment may have been for those that experienced it, those who were there, as well as Luke's readers, the response of foreigners to Jesus, the response to the invitation to the kingdom of God is found Throughout scripture, their acceptance, the acceptance of a foreigner to Jesus. And so we have this Samaritan, no longer leper, before Jesus. And here is Jesus' response. He says, Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give God glory except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. There's a strong point being made here. I mean, Jesus isn't asking for a recount. He knows there were 10 lepers. But where are they? When the power of God healed them, why wasn't there a response? Why, when Jesus showed them the mercy that they cried out for, did they not come back to him? And then Jesus says something to the one who did return, to the foreigner, to the Samaritan. He says, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. But wasn't the man already healed? Like, that's what it said earlier, right? On the way to the priest, it says actually all of them were cleansed. All of them were healed. So this must be different. And I suggest that it is, and I would say that it's actually helpful if we look to the Greek to be able to understand the difference here. See, in verse 15, the Samaritan saw that he was healed, and the Greek word is iome, which translates to heal. 
And again, in verse 17, Jesus says, didn't I heal 10 men? Here, the Greek word is, is different as well. It's kaitho. Hold on. I practiced. I honestly did, but I mess it up every time. Katharizo. Katharizo. To clean. But there is something very specific and different in verse 19 when Jesus is speaking to just the Samaritan. Here, the word that we've translated heal or be well in other translations, the word is sozo. That one's so much easier. Why can't all Greek words be easy? Sozo translates to save. There's a difference. All 10 lepers received healing for their skin conditions. All had been blessed. All had been restored to their community. They'd been cleaned. But the Samaritan experience is more than a change from sickness to health. He was changed in a deeper way. The Samaritan's praise and thanksgiving are his demonstration of faith, a faith that led to salvation. The scene here is concerned with the transformation that causes, creates a more permanent bond of gratitude between those Jesus helped by him. The role of the nine who failed to to return, well, it suggests a somber awareness that many of those that Jesus helped did not relate to him in a permanent bond of faith-filled gratitude. Instead of being faith-filled, the other nine have faith-failed. Remember, if we go back to chapter 3, Jesus says, Work hard to enter the narrow door of God's kingdom, for many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I do not know you or where you are from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I do not know you or where you are from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. Ouch. Hard words. Hard words to hear. Enjoying Jesus' benefits is not sufficient. His mighty acts, they need to be seen as signs of God's reign and rule, as calls to repentance, as an invitation to participate in God's kingdom by being his disciples. How we respond matters. Jesus healed 10 lepers, yet only one responded by giving glory to God and demonstrated faith in Jesus by returning to him with thanksgiving. This is the faith that Jesus commends. This is the faith, the faith that results in salvation. It's what it looks like when faith fills our hearts and just spews out of us. This salvation, this entrance into the kingdom is received by the outcast, the leper, the foreigner, the hated Samaritan, the very ones that the Jews would have seen as disqualified from salvation. This is what was missed by the other nine no longer lepers. The reaction of the nine in not returning to give thanks to Jesus, well, it shows us how often we tend to take God's gracious actions for granted. And it's so easy to blame them to judge them for that. Instead of looking in the mirror and seeing where have we failed to give 
God glory and praise? Where have we taken God for granted? There's a double sting to this passage for the original audience and really should be for us as well. First, Jesus is clearly demonstrating that he is for everyone, including and especially those that society has written off. Now, we don't, we don't keep those with skin conditions outside of the city anymore, make them shout unclean everywhere they go. But we should be asking ourselves, this, this story, this narrative should be getting us to consider who we have decided is beyond Christ's reach. And secondly, salvation is for those that have placed their faith in Jesus. Full stop. Nothing else will do. Not regular church attendance, not singing loudly, not what we think of as proper political alliance. Nothing. The gratitude the Samaritan showed represents a fundamental response of faith to God's work. Over and over again in Luke's gospel, we see that it is the religious, the proud, who assume that their piety guarantees their salvation. While the outcasts and the sinners, they make no such assumptions. Because of that, it's exactly these outcasts that so eagerly accept and respond to God's gracious invitation. In this case, it was the Samaritan that comes back and gives thanks to God. The leper was not only healed from the skin condition that was wrecking his life, but has gained entry into the kingdom of God. This is the response that we're called to in light of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Just as Jesus showed mercy on all ten lepers, but only one responded in faith, Jesus died for all the world, offering salvation. But how many of us respond in faith, giving glory to God, praising him and falling at the feet of Jesus? How many of us accept salvation in light of God's goodness with thanksgiving? Responding with thanksgiving requires acknowledging God's faithfulness and action. It demonstrates our recognition that we cannot save ourselves. Have you responded to Jesus with a gratitude and repentance that expresses your faith? Do you continue to respond this way to God's ongoing work in your life? Because it's not a one-time response. Activities like we did just at the beginning of this service are so important because God is always faithful and Jesus is our Savior, and each day should be spent responding in gratitude. And what a witness that would be for us to live out as his church, as his people. Can we be a noticeably grateful people? Can this be evidence to the world of our faith and God's goodness don't you think people would notice this in a world full of judgment and conflict, a people of gratitude? I think it would be like a sweet-smelling perfume on us in a very bitter world. As we respond to the blessings of life as a result of God's grace, we become gentler, humble, two things that our world needs so much more of. 
It also turns us away from assessing life in terms of what we are owed, an attitude that can sow seeds of anger and bitterness in our own lives. I know there are many examples in my life that I can look to and see the activity of Jesus, God's faithfulness, you know, whether that's my experience with the tree back in May or the fact that I have adult children that I love and that I'm still in relationship with and I get to see God's activity in their lives. There are also many things in my life that I'm, I'm still in prayer for, that I long to see God move, for him to act, to answer desires of my heart, whether that's for myself, for my family, for others, for his church, for others that I know and long for them to know of God's goodness and to receive salvation. But even in that waiting, we're called to give thanks. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So let's continue this morning to give thanks. Let's praise God with loud voices. Let's fall at Jesus' feet in faith-filled thanksgiving and make a practice of doing this every day. And we have that opportunity right now as we gather. What a blessing it is to worship together, to be God's gathered people, those who identify as people who have received God's grace. And how much better it is to share this experience of praise and thanksgiving with one another. To appreciate how good and how great our God is. And acknowledge his activity in all our lives. It should remind us of God's faithfulness. It should encourage us in our times of waiting. It should allow us to recount God's goodness to one another and it should spur us on. And so, in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to respond by singing our praises, by giving glory to God. Let me close by praying for us. Jesus, we come before you. We offer up our thanks, our praise, our adoration. Would you lead us through your Holy Spirit in being people of gratitude, those who praise you for all you have done? Would we accept your invitation into your kingdom, recognizing our need for you and your love for us and your constant faithfulness? Would you guide us as we go this morning, as we praise your name? In Jesus' name, amen.